بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد my dear brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته by a show of hands, how many people feel that there is a lack of barakah in their time? Raise your hands. How many people feel there's a lack of barakah in their time? Okay, excellent. You know, I was reading an article this week uh, in preparation for, for tonight's halaqa that the average person that uses social media will spend two hours uh, a day on, on social media. So that's two hours that's gone on social media. And by a show of hands, how many people have a Netflix account? or access to a Netflix account? Raise your hands. Okay, you raise two hands, you have two accounts. <laughs> the average Netflix user in 2020 used three hours, used three hours. Now there is that likelihood that perhaps people are watching Netflix and using social media at the same time, but under the presumption that they aren't, that means five hours of your 24 hours that everyone has is gone towards Netflix and social media. So you have 19 hours to sleep, eat, socialize, get your work done, and be productive. And at the head of all of them, worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and pray and read your Quran and make your dhikr. Right? So we want to put in front of us the challenge of using social media and how it overtakes our lives. And we'll be talking about that today in quite a bit of detail. But I have a challenge that I want to partake together as a group. I'm not going to tell you what the challenge is. I want to see how many people are going to participate with me. So who's going to participate with me in this challenge? I'm going to be a part of the challenge as well. Yeah, who's going to do this challenge with me? Come on, guys. You've got to raise your hands. Everyone raise your hands. If you have a smartphone, you're, 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 you're partaking. Okay. How many people have their screen time on? Your screen time is being monitored. How many of you have it on? Okay. For those of you that don't have it on, we're going to turn it on right now. Let's turn it on right now. And next week, we're going to compare numbers, okay? Next week, we will compare numbers of how much screen time we have used. So I turned it on just before the halaqa started, and inshallah, we will be comparing numbers next week. Now this is not, uh, there's no prize if you have the least amount of, of, of screen time, but be honest with yourself, because you really want to see where does your time go, right? We all feel this lack of barak in our time. We actually want to see where our time is going, and inshallah, through screen time monitoring, that will happen, ta'ala. So with that being said, there was one part that we left off in chapter 2. That's where we're going to begin with, and then we'll quickly proceed to 3, 4, and 5. So the part that we left off in chapter number 2 was the part about destructive practices online. One of the most destructive practices online is trolling and bullying. This type of behavior is contagious and encourages people to pile on and join in, sometimes anonymously. We should resist that behavior even with those that we dislike, even with those that we dislike. You know, it's inevitable that being present on social media, you're going to come across people that you don't like. Perhaps these are people that are criticizing Islam. Perhaps these are people that are leave, uh, living a lifestyle that you don't agree with and, in, in, in fact, frantically disagree with. Perhaps these are people just doing foolish things. How you react to these people says more about you than it does about them. And we have to understand that our behavior towards people 
won't really have much of an impact in terms of them changing for the positive. Right? This is the discussion we were having last week, that you could quote all the ayat, you could quote all the hadith, bring all the logical proofs on social media and in the YouTube comments channel. It's not really going to change people's minds. You want to change people's minds, create your own video, create your own form, create your own post. That's what's going to engage people that are sincere in changing. So the point over here that I want to bring across is that if one of the best deeds is to give people nasiha privately, one of the worst deeds that you can do is to troll people and bully people, particularly online, particularly when you're hiding your identity. Now, I know a lot of people may feel that they need to hide their identity, perhaps for work reasons, perhaps for social reasons, perhaps for the country that they're in, whatever it may be. But if that is the case, don't use that to harm someone. And I can't emphasize this enough, right? Like if you look at the negative impact on mental health that bullying has particularly online, it's actually really, really big. You see people start harming themselves, people contemplate suicide, it destroys people's self-confidence and self-esteem, all through that. So there has to be an awareness, and inshallah that's one of the, the plans for, you know, one of the halakas that we have free, that inshallah we will be focusing just on this topic of bullying, dealing with bullying in person, whether it is high school and university, or even online, so we want to look at it from that lens. If advising people in private is one of the best deeds, understand that bullying people and trolling people online is one of the worst. And just because you may get away with it in this dunya, don't think you're going to get away with it in the akhirah. Right? That's one of the points we mentioned last week. In the sam'a wal basara wal fu'ada kullu ula'ika kana anhu mas'ula. That indeed your heart, indeed your hearing, and indeed your speaking and everything that you do, these are all things that you will be questioned about in the hereafter. مَا يَلْفِذُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ That words are not uttered except that the angels are documenting it. And it doesn't matter if you're saying them through your mouth or through your typing them. These are things that are being documented and they will be presented to you on the day of judgment. Which now brings us to chapter number three. Chapter number three is about the phone. How old were you when you got your first phone? I remember when I got my first phone, I was 19 years old. I was 19 years old when I got my first phone. How old were you guys when you got your first phone? 17? Okay. Who else? How old? You were 20 when you got your first phone? Anyone get their phone when they were 13 years old? 13? One person? 60. Allahu Akbar. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. That's amazing. Alhamdulillah. Allah protected you for, for, for 60 years of your life. May He protect you for another 60. Amen. Okay. There's always this discussion on when should children get phones. And particularly for the parents in the room, I know this is always on your mind. And you have to look at various circumstances that come into play. And there is no you know, cookie-cutter answer for this situation. So the things that you want to look at is... Is the phone an immediate necessity for my child right now? So for example, are they taking the bus, like public transport, to and from school every single day? Are they having to walk um, out after sunset? Are they having to go out early in the morning? If they are having to do those things, then yes, they need the phone. But do they need a smartphone? That is a separate question. Do they need a smartphone? That is a separate question, right? So the conversation we want to have is, when should your child get a smartphone? 
Your child should get a smartphone once you have ingrained the topic of taqwa inside of them. Once you've ingrained the topic of taqwa inside of them. Meaning that you had a, ta- a discussion with them. This is who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything that you're doing. And knows everything that you think. And knows everything that you feel. And you have to ingrain taqwa inside of them. The second thing you have to do is make sure you have a discussion with them with regards to who they are going to be interacting with. So they should only interact with people that they already know. Don't interact with strangers. Just like you don't want your children interacting with strangers in real life, you don't want them interacting with strangers online because there are terrible, terrible things that happen in the online space. Number three, what are the things that they're going to be sharing? What are the things that they're going to be sharing online? As we mentioned last week, that once you put something online, it's going to be there forever, right? So you have to be very, very careful that you're not going to share something that can compromise you. And compromising can be such a a generic term, but I want us to look at examples of mothers that share pictures of their kids as they're dropping them off to school. You know, they're like, yeah, first day of school, I love my child, X, Y, and Z. But now if someone's stalking you, they know what school your child goes to and they know what your child looks like, right? And they don't even have to do any research whatsoever. So someone comes up to them and is like, yeah, I'm a, a, a friend of your mom's. And they know all the mom's history through Instagram, the food that she likes, the, the, the clothes that she wears, X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, the child's going to believe them, right? So things that can compromise you are not just about the standard things that can compromise you. They're even the general things that can compromise your privacy. So all of those things you want to discuss with your child before you even contemplate giving them a phone. Then number two, are they mature and are they responsible? Are they showing that they can handle responsibility? Are they showing that they can handle accountability? They show that, then give them limited amount of access to their phone. So for example, when they're out of the house, they can have it. But once they come home, the phone gets taken away from them. No phones in the bedroom. Nighttime comes, you leave the phone downstairs to charge, and that is where it stays. So those are the things that you need to think about as you give your child the phone. In an ideal world, if you can delay social media usage as much as possible, I, believe, I firmly believe in that. Number two is the type of social media that they use. I also believe in that. So for example, if you can restrict your child to like Twitter, alhamdulillah, like what 14-year-old wants to be on Twitter, right? But they want to be on TikTok, they want to be on Discord, they want to be on Snapchat. Those are the things that you want to be very, very careful of. If they're going to use them, open phone policy access. Parent asks for the phone at any one given time. The parent should be able to view it. No discussions asked. So those are just some guidelines as to when you should give your child a phone. So now, let's talk about things that have changed through the presence of smartphones. So before the presence of smartphones, you wanted to hang out with someone. You're like, hey, I'm coming over. You go over to their place. You hang out. But now, with the presence of smartphones, you want to game together, you can game together from the comfort of your own homes. You want to watch a movie, you can watch a movie together from the comfort of your own homes. Whatever you want to do doesn't really require physical interaction. And this is a huge thing that has changed right now. This is a huge thing that has changed right now. One of the most difficult things to do is that when you're invited to a wedding and you get placed at a table 
where you don't know anyone at all. And you're like, man, you know, the bride and the groom must really hate me that they put me on this table. So now, before smartphones, you're forced to converse with everyone. You can't just sit there silently. There's nothing else to do. So you have to talk to people. You socialize. And you learn, and you benefit, and you grow, and you interact. But now with the presence of smartphones, any time you don't want to interact, you can just pretend you're doing something on your phone, even if the battery's dead. Right? Like one of the best things to do is that if you take public transport, put on your headphones, even if there's nothing on, no one's going to bother trying to talk to you because they're going to assume that you are you know, listening to something or that you're doing something. So you can prevent socialization altogether. And that has had an impact. So if you remember last week, we briefly spoke about how people are more virtually connected but now feel lonelier than ever. Why is that? because the online social media space does not allow for deep, intimate connection, which requires multiple interactions over time in situations where you can grow together. Like the statement of Umar ibn al-Khattab, of eating together, doing business together, traveling together, and sleeping in the same compound or same confined uh, area together. So now, what we want to look at is what is the trade-off that has taken place? So constant engagement on the phone has created a trade-off in these casual social settings where we would normally meet new people, we converse less with those seated next to us on a plane or with our barber or even with a fellow dinner guest at someone's home. So now this concept of, you know, nothing is ever free in life. I want to make it more specific. Nothing is free of consequences. Nothing is free of consequences. No matter what decision you make, no matter what action you take, there will always be a consequence and a ramification of it. So the time you decided to upgrade to a smartphone, there are going to be ramifications and consequences to it. Now, what is the trade-off for us being more virtually connected, for us being more virtually connected? Responding to text messages while conversing with someone is now viewed by many people to be completely normal and acceptable. Regardless, it does create some tricky situations. When is it appropriate to respond to a message or glance at a message? What about talking? What about taking a phone call? What about taking a picture? So the consequences of having a smartphone is that there's this concept of capital on social media. That concept of capital on social media, how many followers you have, how many likes you get, how many messages you're getting, how many interactions you're getting, how many views you're getting, this is all considered capital on social media. So back in the day when we wanted to look at someone's status, you look at how much wealth a person has. This person is worth X amount of money, and therefore they are socially more powerful. They have clout in society. That is all drastically changed now to how many followers do you have on social media, to how many followers do you have on social media. What that has done is that once we have created that as a form of capital, just like mankind and humanity loves money, then similarly, mankind will now crave likes, views, and interactions. What that does on a personal level is that we can no longer be engaged with long conversations that are deep and intimate, 
because we want to see that that last picture that I posted, did someone comment on it? Did someone like it? I need to know instantaneously, and it's created this desire for instantaneous gratification, right? This concept of being bored does not exist, and we'll, we'll talk about that shortly. This concept of delayed gratification does not exist. We want everything here, right now, as soon as possible, in the best way possible. So now let's try to answer some of these questions. So imagine you're at a coffee shop with a friend. You haven't seen them in a long time. You get a text message. You don't know who it's from. At what point do you check who it's from? What are the guidelines? What do you do? Do you just check it at any time? No, you don't? You're shaking your head. Bismillah, you're the first one to answer. So when do you, when, when do you check it? who messaged you at that time. So you want to look for a break. You want to judge what type of conversation it is. You also want to see who you're actually sitting and having coffee with as well, right? Like how important and valuable is that conversation? Anyone have something else to add? At what point would you check a text message or a, or, you know, a notification? Go ahead. Right. Of course, so if your phone starts going off, I 100% agree. You know, something could be going on, someone's trying to get in touch with you urgently. That does require, you know, checking your, your device at that time. But for this scenario, we're just talking like a one-off text message. A one-off text message, what do you do in that situation? So, let's look at one prophetic mentality, and this is an important takeaway that we're taking away from chapter number three. The Prophet wasallam, when someone said assalamu alaikum to him as he was walking, he would turn his full body towards them, face them, and give them his undivided attention. And give them his undivided attention. And this could be from his best friends like Abu Bakr and Umar, or his wife Aisha radiallahu anha, or this could be even the companion that literally we know nothing about. The Prophet wasallam treated everyone fairly in this respect. So the point over here is the concept of respecting people needs to be brought back. So the general rule is, you don't want to be checking your notifications, you don't want to be checking your emails, you don't want to be checking your social media as you're interacting with someone. So if the conversation comes to an end and you're parting ways, alhamdulillah, by all means, at the end of the conversation, check your phone. If your phone starts going off, like someone's trying to call you two or three times in a row, or you're getting like 10, 15 text messages in a row, and this is like a problem as well, the adab of text messaging. You know, we have certain people that they'll text message you like one word at a time. Please don't do that. Please type the whole paragraph and then send it. You'll make people's lives so much easier. Like I keep thinking, subhanAllah, just to go on a bit of a tangent. It's like no matter how many times you tell people before salah, please turn off your phones and put it on silent. There'll always be one brother or one sister that manages to ignore this notification and ends up leaving it on. And it's just purely from the qadr of Allah that because they left it on, their friend's gonna call them or they're gonna get text messages. And in those moments, subhanAllah, those people 
that text one word at a time, it just goes ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, man, miskeen, this poor is being, the person is being embarrassed in Salah, and the person sending the message is just making it worse, you know, because it just keeps going off. So now, a brief fix point over here. In your Salah, if your phone starts ringing, or you haven't put it on silent, it will not nullify your Salah if you put it on silent or if you turn it off, right? Just pushing the power off button, it won't nullify your Salah. Or if you have, like, um, you know, on the iPhones, they have the sound button. If you just turn that sound button off in the Salah, it's not going to nullify your Salah. So that is something that's actually encouraged to do that. As soon as it goes off, you know, just do that right away. Just do that right away. And also take heed of the Imam's statement, right? The Imam's not just saying it for the sake of having fun, turn off your phones or put it on silent. It's for the sake of avoiding destruction. So now going back to this point of respect, that when you're with someone, you want to give them undivided attention as long as is possible, and as long as is possible. And we can talk about some of the things that you can do. Uh, you know, we'll be talking about that, I believe, in chapter number five. Yeah. 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 Correct. It will not nullify your salah. It will not impact your salah. Because it's not a permanent thing that you're doing, right? So it's just like you sneeze. If you cover your mouth in your, in your sajda, it's not going to nullify your, 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 your salah, right? So in that sort of situation, you're just quickly moving your hand and you bring it back. But if you make the intention that, you know what, I'm not going to put all seven positions on the floor, then that's where you're sinful, and that's, that will, well, that's what will nullify your salah. So anything that you do for a greater benefit or greater cause is, is, is not a problem at all, inshallah. Taib. So that's one thing about etiquette. A second thing uh, about etiquette is that perhaps sometimes we're in the gathering, there are quite a few people around us, and we'll start talking about other people via text message. So you're at someone's house, and you start texting your friend. And I, I don't know what, what guys would do in this situation. But this seems more like something that uh, uh, a group of sisters might do. Like, hey, did you see her shoes? Hey, did you see her dress? Hey, did you see her hijab? And that sort of thing. Now, you may be thinking, what's the big deal of doing something like that? You know, it's not really backbiting. That's fine. We're not going to talk about the issue of backbiting. Because it may be relevant, but it may not be relevant. But what is relevant is this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says, when three people are sitting together, then two of them should not hold a secret conversation, excluding the third person. Wait to be in a larger group so as not to upset another person. So as to not upset another person. Meaning that, imagine if you're on a table, again, going back to this wedding scenario, you're at a table, you're, one of your friends is on the opposite side of the table, and you're with a group of people that are unknown, and you guys are just texting each other back and forth. According to this hadith, this is bad adab, this is bad etiquette because you want to make everyone feel included. There's a responsibility that we have of making people feel welcome, of making people feel welcome. And if you're just putting yourself into your phone and you're conversing privately with another person, then that is something that is considered disrespectful Islamically. That is something that is considered disrespectful Islamically. A third matter of uh, etiquette. How many of you know someone, so this is not you, but you know someone that takes their phone to the bathroom. 
that takes their phone to the bathroom. Reality, right? That is a reality. I want us to reflect on the fact that the Prophet وسلم, he teaches us to say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubathi wal-khaba'ith before we enter the bathroom. Meaning that, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from these filthy jinn that are, that are present over here. What does that teach us? That you want to spend the least possible amount of time in the washroom. Now, here we can address the guys. Guys naturally will take more time in the washroom. Ask any wife, they'll testify to this, subhanAllah. You add even more time if you have your phone with you. That 20 minutes now turns into an hour. If you have to take a shower on top of that, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah, an hour and a half is gone, right? So you don't want to be taking your phone with you. And there's multiple reasons here. There's multiple reasons here. Number one is just the time. Number two, mashallah, tabarakallah, you're all practicing, you know, observant people over here. So when you're on social media, you're going to be reading reminders, you're going to be listening to reminders, you're going to be exposed to verses of the Quran. And those are not things you should be exposed to in the bathroom. Those are, it's part of the, the adab and the etiquette of the dhikr of Allah and the verses of the, of the Quran that they shouldn't be recited there. They shouldn't be recited over there. So that's a second reason not to do so. And then the third and last reason is that, again, so much time is just completely wasted that could be doing other things, right? That time could be spent with your family, that time could be doing work, that time could be doing so many other things. So look at not only the, the, the extra amount of time you're spending in the washroom, but also the loss of productivity, the loss of productivity. So that is a third adab and etiquette you need to be careful of. A fourth thing that, you know, we'll, we'll talk briefly as a tangent. When we touch a mushaf, we require having wudu. According to the majority of scholars, if you're going to touch a mushaf, you are required to have wudu. But how about if you're reading Quran off of an app on your phone? Are you required to have wudu at that time? The answer is no. You're not required to have wudu. So we differentiate between the mushaf and the phone, even though you may do, be doing the exact same thing. Now, what are some of the things that we can do to increase our hasanat through our phones? To increase our hasanat through our phones. Number one, set up reminders for yourself to do good deeds. So for example, Thursday night comes, put a reminder on your phone that I need to recite Surah Al-Kahf. I need to send Salah and Salam upon the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Before the time of Maghrib, I need to take some time out on Friday to make dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala because it is Sa'atul Ijaba. Right, so all of these things that you can take advantage of, you should do. Number two, put on the Adhan app on your phone. Make sure that at least you get some sort of notification for Salah timings. Particularly in the winter time, it's tough, man. It's really, really tough. Like Dhuhr comes, you start an assignment, and all of a sudden it's Maghrib, and you're like, man, what happened to the time of Asr? Right? That's just the way it happens. So at least when you're getting a notification for your Salahs, it will give you an opportunity to make sure that those Salahs aren't missed, particularly in these winter months. And then, one of the best things that I think a person can do is that as we set up reminders throughout the day and like every day have a standard portion of, you know what, in this half an hour of the day, I'm going to recite Quran. In this half an hour of the day, 
I'm going to listen to a lecture. In this half an hour of the day, I'm going to be making dhikr. And you want to make the most of your time that way. You want to be, make the most of your time that way. Now, the last point I want to discuss with regards to respect is remember when we were talking about interacting with people? One of the worst things a child can do, and this applies to all of us here, is when your parent is trying to talk to you, but your head is in the phone. I want us all to make a firm intention that the next time that any one of our parents is speaking to us, we'll try our utmost best to put our phones down. If you're doing something important, politely tell your mother and father, my dear mother, my dear father, let me just finish this task, let me just finish this conversation, and I'll be with you right away. But if they're just talking and talking and talking, and you think it's enough to keep nodding your head to show that you're paying attention, this is not the respect that your parents deserve. This is not the respect that your parents deserve. Now, they have action items in the book. Let's look at these action items. Action item number one, look for creative ways to remove phones from social interactions. Many live shows, such as stand-up comedy shows, require audience members to lock their phones in special pouches. Instead of selfie stations, host photo-free gatherings. One solution people have tried at restaurants is to stack phones at the center of the table, and if anyone reaches for their phone during dinner, they have to pay the full bill. I love this idea. So this concept of phone-free zones, I think this is amazing. Like I think if we did our due diligence at the masjid, as people are walking in, we have those pouches. Put your phone in the pouch, you'll get it on your way out. And if it wasn't as crowded and if people aren't as much in a hurry, I think it, it, it would have worked really well. But try this in your own homes. Like have rules that when it comes time to dinner, take away the phones, take away the devices. You don't need your iPad, you don't need your phone when we're having dinner, right? At nighttime, try your utmost best to just you know, keep it away from you. It'll help you sleep better. Like one of the worst things that we do for our sleep is to have access to our phones, right? The last thing you do before you go to bed, check your notifications, check your emails. The first thing you do when you wake up, check your emails, check your notifications. That's the reality of life. Bring some peace to your life by taking it away. And also try this thing at the restaurant. Like I think that's a great thing. Let's see how addicted we all are. Are we willing to pay everyone's bill that night? Let's do it. Number two, force yourself to put your phone away when talking to others, even in casual settings, like speaking to a clerk at a store. So you go to a store, put your phone away. If you're talking to someone, put your phone away. And I wanted to mention something over here. SubhanAllah, I make a, an intention to share this every Jummah, but my dear brothers, when you come to Jummah, while the Imam is talking, you're not allowed to text. You're not allowed to look at social media. You're not allowed to respond to emails. Right? It'll take away from the ajr of your Jummah. And a lot of times people think that the Imam can't see what they're doing. Trust me, the Imam sees everything that you're doing. Even the guy in the back that is like trying to take a nap and text at the same time. The Imam sees you. And it's not even about the Imam seeing you that it's being disrespectful when you should be paying full attention. But at the end of the day, it's about your own ajr. Right? You came to Jummah to get your ajr. Why are you going to diminish from your ajr if you're texting on your phone? If you really, really have an urgent call or like something, an emergency happens, get up of the gathering, leave, take your phone call, come back. That is the proper etiquette. But to like pick up your phone and start talking, 
Fadiha, honestly, Fadiha. I remember one incident. This is when we were uh, praying Juma at, uh, at the Ramada Hotel. Sheikh Hassan is giving the khutbah. This brother sitting in the first row. And he picks up the phone and he starts talking in the middle of Juma. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, what are you doing? Like, if you call us, I understand it could be an emergency. We're not judging the phone call. But if you need to take it, don't do it there. Get up and walk out. Take the phone call, come back, subhanAllah. So yeah, like even in Juma, you ought to make sure you, uh, you, you turn that uh, off, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Chapter number four, reflect. So now, this topic of reflection is actually a, a very, very deep one. And we're going to start off with this discussion that as believers, we're meant to be people that reflect, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us in Surah Al-Imran, إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافِ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ لَآيَاتٍ لِأُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَكُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ وَيَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ رَبَّنَا مَا خَلَقْتَ هَذَا بَعْطِلًا Subhana, Subhana, Subhanallah. Like if you look at this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the alternation of the, of the day and the night, there are signs for people who reflect. And these people, they will be remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala standing, sitting and laying down. And they will say, Oh Allah, you did not create this in vain meaning that they're people that are contemplative and they like to reflect. They like to reflect. So this is who the believers are meant to be. This is who the believers are meant to be. So now, what we want to reflect on is what are our phones doing to us? What is our social media doing to us? So I want to give you an example. This is the example actually in the book that uh, our brother Omar Osman uh, poses over here. So you have your alarm on for Fajr. You had a really late night. Let's just say you were busy working on an assignment. And you've pressed snooze. Allah's 10 minutes later, snooze again, snooze again, snooze again. And now you have half an hour left till shuruk, till the sun is going to rise. Till you start thinking, subhanAllah, I should really get up. But this time when the alarm goes off, rather than turning it off, you just like smack it. But it didn't turn off. So you slowly start to get up. You grab your phone now. And you start to see, you know, 27 email notifications, you know, 10 Facebook notifications, 5 Instagram notifications, 20 Twitter notifications. As soon as you see that, what's going to happen at that time? If you think about the command of the Prophet wasallam, where if you are sitting in a gathering and you're hungry and dinner has been served and the call to Salah comes, should you answer the call to Salah? Or should you eat at that time? The Prophet ﷺ tells us to eat. Why? Because you will be distracted in your salah by your hunger. You will be distracted in your salah by your hunger. What is the qiyas being made over here? That now that you have to pray Fajr, and you've seen 27 email notifications, how many social media notifications, what's going to happen in salah? Shaitan is going to come to you and is going to say, hey, what if you have an important email? Or hey, what if X, Y, and Z person that you're following, you know, posted a comment on one of your pictures? Or what if, you want to make it more dramatic? What if that sister that you're considering to propose to, she liked your picture? Shaitan's really going to mess with your head. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ commands us to mitigate the notification, uh, commands us to, to mitigate the reasons of distraction in Salah. So now what that means is, that if you've created this opportunity for shaitan, 
You've empowered him over you. You've empowered him over you. Food is a survival for necessity. Social media is not a survival for necessity. So what ends up happening, whether we like it or not, we'll justify it to ourselves. Okay, you know what? Let me just quickly go through everything. Quickly go through our emails. And, you know, he posted something really funny. He's like, when was the last time you actually got a personal email that was important? No one gets personal emails that are important anymore. Like, work emails, yes. Personal emails, no. So you go through all of your emails. You go through all of your notifications. You go through everything. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I still have to pray Fajr. But that shouldn't be the way life is. That shouldn't be the way that our lives are run. So we want to reflect on the impact that it's having on our engagement with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says every wakeful moment we have is dedicated to being busy in some capacity. Right? We always constantly want to look busy. You know, subhanAllah, there's a show that I grew up watching called Seinfeld. And uh, some of you may, may watch it or may know of it. And George Costanza, you know, he's like the, the master con man. So every time his boss would look by or walk by, he always pretends to look busy, even though he's never doing any work. And smile, this guy's a genius. Like he managed to build a bed underneath his desk and he would take naps underneath his desk. But that's like a, a, a tangent. So the point being, like we've created this culture of, I always need to be busy. I always need to be engaged in something. But is that the prophetic mentality? The answer is no. The Prophet ﷺ, before revelation, before revelation, he used to go into the mountains and sit in a cave, isolate and contemplate. No distractions, nothing to, to do with the outside world. Just focus on being present, focus on the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now after revelation, it's about your dhikr. It's about your Quran recitation. It's about what good deeds can you do? What dua can I make? Right? I want us to think about some of the bad habits that have been created with regards to our dhikr. That salah finishes. As soon as salah finishes, you have your phone in one hand, you're making dhikr in the other hand. How sincere is your dhikr? Right? You're trying to make dua, you're making dua, but you're also like scrolling through Instagram. How genuine is your dua at that time? Now, obviously, that is still better than not making dua and not making dhikr, but we're talking about how do we go back to the norm? How do we elevate it, right? So it starts with reflecting on the impact that these phones are having on our lives. So when we're talking about trade-offs, one of the trade-offs of social media is that all of our free time gets consumed with it. All of our free time gets consumed with it. So what is a good practice with regards to social media? Here's a couple of things I want to share with you. Number one, turn off your notifications. And I mean, like, don't even allow it to take place on your phone. So if you're getting an email, it shouldn't show up on your phone. Something happened on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, any social media, you shouldn't get the notification. Why? Because that way you'll continuously keep checking. That way you'll continuously keep checking. And then what you do is, number two, allot time for checking your emails and doing social media checking. So remember those 30-minute slots that we were talking about? Put a 30-minute slot that you know what? During this 30-minute slot, I'll check my emails. During this 30-minute slot, I'll check my social media. And if you want to take it even deeper, 
And this is like, when you look at these individuals that are, are considered life hackers, they're trying to hack their way through life by optimizing it as much as possible and living as long as possible. All of these people, if they're present on social media, they won't be using it on their phones. In fact, they'll make it a general rule, they'll only use social media on their desktops or on their laptops. And they'll only use the social media that is relevant to them and to their business, right? So they won't have the useless ones that they don't use, right? Like the mistake that we make is that we want to have everything. We want to have TikTok, we want to have Instagram, we want to have Snapchat, so that as you're sitting through the toilet, the Instagram feed finishes, okay, let's check TikTok now. TikTok feed finishes now, okay, let's go to Snapchat. Snapchat finishes now, okay, let's go to Twitter. Twitter finishes now, okay, let's check the news. News finishes now, dude, what else is left? Habibi, get up and wash yourself and go, right? And this is the reality, this is the reality. So the third hack is that if you can avoid using social media on your phone, that is one of the best favors that you will do. And then number four, only use the social medias that you actually need to use. And by need, I mean like, for a young person, your closest friends, that they're on this one social media and you want to interact with them, khalas, use that social media. Get rid of the rest, right? Save your time. It is worth more than anything else. Now, I want to share this quote with you that he shares. He says, as we embrace a technology's gift, we usually fail to consider what they ask from us in return. The subtle, hardly noticeable payments we make in exchange for their marvelous service. We don't notice, for example, that the gaps in our schedules have disappeared because we're too busy delighting in the amusements that fill them. We forget the games that childhood boredom forged because boredom itself has been outlawed. Why would we bother to register the end of solitude, of ignorance, of lack? Why would we care that an absence has disappeared? Right, so this is just talking about how free time has completely disappeared because social media has filled that gap, has filled that gap. Now, we must intentionally choose in every single moment which connections matter, right? This goes back to the point that I was mentioning. Choose the social medias that matter the most, limit their usage and interaction, and make the most of your time. Because at the end of the day, when you're questioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what did you do in your youth? An acceptable response is not, I was checking my social media. And if we're spending two hours a day, Allahu Akbar, are we spending that same amount just in salah? Are we spending that same amount adding in the amount of dhikr and Quran that we're reciting two hours salah? Does that even add up to two hours? Right, that's something to think about. That's something to think about. We aren't able to give the remembrance of Allah the attention it needs because we dedicate our cognitive energy elsewhere. Meaning that your mind, it has a limited amount of capacity. Right? It has a limited amount of energy before itself feels drained. And this is not like physical exhaustion where your body is tired. This is mental exhaustion because your mind has been worked already. So it's like over sensory loaded with all of the pictures, with all of the sounds, with all of the news. It just need, it's just tired. It needs a break. And you'll notice that, that when that happens, you're no longer productive. You can't engage in dhikr. You can't recite Quran because all of those things require mental capacity. Harris also notes, just as every technology is an invitation to enhance some part of our lives, it also necessarily is an invitation to be drawn away from something else. So the more you are drawn to your phone, think the opposite of it, the more you're drawn away 
from the remembrance of Allah and from productivity. The more you're drawn away from the remembrance of Allah and from productivity. So we have to create moments of solitude. So you have to create moments for yourself where you know what? I'm not going to touch my phone. I'm not going to be engaged in anything. This is just pure my time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reflect, make dhikr, and make dua. And these aren't things that I can multitask, right? These are things that I have to focus on because my spiritual well-being is just as important, if not more important, than my physical well-being. And my phone is having an impact on my spiritual well-being. And subhanAllah, you may not realize this, but this concept of desensitization, particularly to the way women are dressed on social media, it has an impact on us, brothers, that we need to take seriously. The words that we hear on social media in the name of pulling a prank, in the name of observing a funny clip, these are all things that we get desensitized to. Then all of a sudden you start saying a swear word and you're like, man, where did this come from? That's not the language that I speak. But it's because we become desensitized to it and eventually overexposure will naturally make it a part of your vocabulary. And he concludes by saying we have to reclaim our expendable hours and make them hours essential to our connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So his action items. Number one, reflect what trade-offs you have made for social media. Have you noticed a direct impact in your relationship with Allah? Meaning, so always pay attention to the impact that social media is having on your relationship with Allah. Number two, block out timings throughout the day as white space that are screen-free. Suggestions include blocking the first three to 30 minutes after waking up and 30 minutes before going to sleep. Social media phone-free zones. Number three, use a physical copy of the Quran instead of an app. Okay, let's stop here for a second. Why do you think he's saying use a physical copy of the Quran as opposed to an app? What could the wisdom be? Distraction, 100%. You're trying to read Quran in your app, notifications are going off, text messages are coming in. You're like, Kalas, it's gone, it's done, right? Whereas if you're reading a physical Quran, you're not distracted by anything else. You get to focus on the Quran alone. When reading and using a handwritten dua list for making dua, these will eliminate distractions and help you focus. How are we for time? 8.38. Okay, let's finish this last chapter and we'll conclude with Allah Ta'ala. Chapter number five is Takathur. Chapter number five is Takathur. Actually, you know what? Anyone want to share something with regards to spirituality and relationship with Allah and social media? Anyone have any comments or thoughts on this topic? I know it's very vague and very broad. And maybe something doesn't come to the forefront of your mind, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Like, what do you think the ramifications of social media on our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are? What impact does social media have? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. Excellent question. So the brother's question are these short clips that are 30 to 60 seconds long, replacing the need for education. And I think a lot of that will come with the mentality that people have, right? So if people have this mentality that, you know what, by watching a 30 to 60 second clip, I've learned all the religious knowledge that I need, that's a disaster, not in the clip itself, but in the mindset that we have, right? Even though it's not an authentic hadith, the concept is very true. You seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave, right? So this concept of constantly learning, that is the mindset that we should have. And I get it. 
we can't listen to two hour lectures and I felt so bad and I apologize for last week we went on for an hour and 22 minutes I will try not to do that this tonight I understand not everyone has the capacity for that but if you're going to focus on learning be genuine and sincere with yourself take time out for 30 minutes find a 30 minute lecture on something that you want to learn about take out your phone if you want to take notes or take, even better take out a pen and a pad so that you're away from all distractions listen and take notes right you know if you go back to traditional learning they used to say right that knowledge is this wild beast and the only way that you tame this wild beast is by documenting it and by writing it down right so if our intention really is to seek knowledge then it has to be done properly it can't just be you know what these 30 to 60 second clips now the merit of those 30 to 60 second clips though is that sometimes you need a good deed to do like right away like uh, uh, i'm gonna give a shout out to my to my boy adil ghadban for those of you that may follow him on uh, on TikTok or instagram like what he does from once in a while he'd be like my brothers and sisters if you're watching right now repeat after me and he'll be like his most recent one was and like those 60 seconds allahu akbar you've just done a good deed and he just accumulated like a million hasanat mashallah so if you're looking for that that's perfectly fine but if you're actually going to be seeking, uh, learning Islam, Assalamu alaikum, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, if you're actually going to try to learn Islam, be genuine and sincere with yourself, and that's the way to do it. Allahu Akbar. Yeah. I have a good problem. I think that's Yeah. make it easy so this brother's question is about to how shaitan gets the best of all of us and when we're, we have the opportunity to do something more productive shaitan brings us to something less productive so the answer to this goes back to that concept of structuring your time so if you have an eight-hour you know limit that you're working with then break down your time that you know what for this half an hour I'll recite Quran for this half an hour I'll speak to my friend for this half an hour I'll watch a lecture for this half an hour I'll go onto social media for this half an hour I'll go take a walk and make dhikr like that's what you need to do and just be adamant by it right you have to hold yourself accountable for that you have to hold yourself accountable for that bismillah last one alaikum salam Allahu Akbar. Uncle, but that is so much easier said than done, right? To say that I control my phone and my phone does not control me, very easy to say, very hard to do. Very easy to say, very hard to do, right? And this is like 
remember last week we were talking about those people that are born after 1985, that they've lived a life before the onset of a smartphone. They know what life was like, and they can remember what life was like. But after 1985, if you ask these young kids, you know, what is life like without a smartphone? It is their lives, right? Everything revolves around it. So now we can't take it away because it's almost a necessity of life. But what we want to do is establish these guidelines and principles to uh, mitigate the harm as much as possible. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us. Chapter number five is a, is a relatively short one. It's on at-takathur. Who knows what at-takathur means? From Surah At-Takathur. What does at-takathur mean? What did you say? A desire for increase, a mutual rivalry, a competition where you compete with people for more. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us, That you will continue to compete with people up and until you visit the graves. Up and until you visit the graves. So now, what He tries to do in this setting or in this chapter is He wants to talk about that concept of capital again. So that concept of capital where people are craving likes and desires, what, how does that translate into social media? So if people are constantly competing for wealth and children, as is per the Qur'an, we add that now into likes, interactions, views, comments, and so on and so forth. So the new social media adds a new form of currency, which is attention. This is measured in likes, comments, shares, and followers, right? We compete with one another, over these metrics. And the most powerful of people are those that have the largest followings. And we actually discussed a lot of this already. So what we want to take away from this now is how often do we do things for the sake of purely just posting them on social media, right? So for example, uh, I don't know if we have such a place here in, uh, in Calgary, but in Los Angeles, there's like this mural of like angel wings. People will specifically go there so that they can stand in the middle, grab a picture, and you know what? They went there just for the sake of taking a picture. Or like if you go to um, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa or to the Eiffel Tower, people put their thumbs away from a distance as if they're holding it. The only reason they went like... 200 meters away from the Eiffel Tower is to take that picture so that they can post it on social media. So going back to intentionality that we were talking about last week, what are our intentions for the things that we do in our lives now? How much of it is dictated by purely just sharing that on social media versus going there to experience things and enjoy the things that we're doing? So that's what we want to discuss, bismillah ta'ala. So he says over here, if we see someone post photos from a new park, we have to visit it and post a photo from the exact same spot. If a new restaurant opens up that is trending on social media, we rush to visit and take our photos before the hype dies down. Sometimes the documentation can start with a noble intention and then becomes problematic. Consider the case of people documenting charity work such as feeding the homeless. It can serve as something that helps an organization build credibility share the good work being done, and encourage support for the cause. Left unchecked, it can also become a source of self-adulation and shifting the focus from helping the people to lauding the one that is doing the helping. So let's take this chapter, uh, this paragraph over here. You know, the IISC once a month 
we go to the Calgary Drop-In Center. Alhamdulillah, we don't, we don't document this anymore. But we used to document it at one point to show that we as a Muslim community are doing good work. We're helping out the disenfranchised and we're giving back to the community that we live in. And we used to share the photos um, on the ISC webpage. So if you go back to like 2016, 2017, you can find all of this there. A time eventually came where we're no longer doing this. Why? Because subhanAllah, it became more about you know, congratulating the IISC for the work that was being done as opposed to recognizing the greater need in our society to help people. So the focus that was meant to be on the cause now became on the one that's doing the work and appreciating them as opposed to helping more people do more good work. So here you can start off with a noble intention, but along the way your intention gets distracted by you constantly sharing everything that you do, by you constantly sharing everything that you do. So now his action items for this section are, number one, self-reflection. Have you ever gone somewhere with the intent of taking a photo to share online instead of the experience of visiting that place? We were discussing that uh, already. I think that happens all the time. Don't allow it to happen as much as possible. I understand there are certain things that you go somewhere, you want to uh, document that I've been here, done that. But look at your possible intentions. Number one, I'm documenting this for my own personal memory. And I'll share an example. SubhanAllah, I just met a friend after like six or seven years, and we were talking about when was the first time we actually met. And I was like, yeah, I remember the first time we actually met. It was an X, Y, and Z spot. You know, we had uh, an ice cap right after Tarawih. And he's like, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, how did you remember that? I'm like, because when that happened, I took a picture of us together. But when I took that picture, it wasn't for the sake of posting it on social media. Like, I generally like to do things that if I meet someone for the first time, I was like, this is our first moment together. Because like many years down the line, as you reflect, yeah, so when did we first meet? And you may not actually remember that, subhanAllah. But you can go onto your phone, go onto your feed, check that person's photos, and you see their very first photo. Yeah, that was your first meeting. Just for my own personal memory. So that's one possible intention that you have. Intention number two is that you're taking it purely just for the sake of posting it online. And I think this is where the problem actually arises. Why do we post stuff purely for the sake of online? Like, why is it important for us to be socially validated, to be, you know, have as many likes as possible, to have any, as many shares as possible, to have as many comments as possible? Now, we as human beings, yes, we are social beings. We've discussed that. But why is it that this is what we're constantly craving for as opposed to real validation? Why does it matter if 4,000 people who do not know you at a personal level like your picture or not? I want you to think about this, that when we pass away, and it's inevitable that we will all pass away, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us husnul khatima, ameen. How many of those people are going to show up to our janazah? They're not. The people that are going to show up to the janazah are the people that you've had a personal impact on. The people whose lives you have touched the people whose community you were a part of. These are the people that are going to show up to your janazah. And that's something to keep thinking about, and that's how you keep yourself in check. That every time you want to post something online just for the sake of likes and engagement, you know, think about that. Are the people that I'm trying to please, do they actually care about my akhirah? Do they actually care about my well-being? Are they going to show up to my janazah? That's what you want to think about. So now, can you post pictures online for other intentions? Yes for the sake of creating conversation, 
for the sake of educating, for the sake of dialogue. You can post it for those reasons. But don't be shallow that you're just posting it just for the likes and for the follows and for the, you know, wow, you look so amazing with like, uh, you know, an edited picture and stuff like that, subhanAllah. Number two, he says the next time you visit a place or do something, you would be tempted to document, focus on enjoying the moment without taking any photos, not even for personal memory. So he's like of a different methodology. He doesn't believe in the, in, in the concept or actually... He tries to mitigate the concept of personal memories. You don't need to document them. Your mind will naturally um, you know, remember them. But if you have a very scattered mind, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking those pictures for personal memory. But I do agree with the point that focus on being in the here and now and enjoy that moment. And if an opportunity comes to take a picture, take the picture. But don't make the picture the primary purpose. Don't make the picture the primary intent even if it is for your own memory, even if it is for your own memory. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. We'll open up the floor for questions and comments. Just uh, for next week, we'll be talking about publicizing sins. We'll be talking about family, and we'll be talking about envy. So we have some big topics coming up next week. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Subhanakallahum bihamdik, ashadu la ilaha ilant, astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk. And I open up the floor now for questions, comments, concerns, whatever's on your mind, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Let's start with the sisters. Questions, comments, concerns from the sisters? Anything? Nothing? I agree with everything that I said. It was 100% factually correct. And we're going to implement everything, mashallah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Say from the brothers. Questions, comments, concerns? Ammo, bismillah. Alhamdulillah. So is that a, a comment or a question? Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> So the, the, the point that our uncle is making that he's avoided most of social media and most of the internet and alhamdulillah he's still alive. <laughs> Fair point. You know, that's game set and match. Okay. Ajeeb, subhanAllah. So because you didn't have an email address, you wouldn't. Subhanallah. So the uncle was trying to buy a pair of shoes, and I guess they tried to register an account for him at the cashier, and they asked for your email, and he's like, I don't have an email address. He's like, sorry, you can't buy the shoes. That's discrimination, man. That's like a form of ageism. That's a form of ageism. That's not fair, subhanAllah. Uncle, we should file a lawsuit. Let's do it. May Allah help us. Brothers, go ahead in the back. Yeah. Definitely end up doing that 
Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. But subhanAllah, this is such a... So the, the brother's comment is with regards to a 14-month-old uh, daughter that has basically learned how to scroll and brings them their phone and asks them to unlock it for her. You know, this is um, a lesson in, in, in parenting in the sense of how much children follow the example of their parents. Right? I think like, that's my takeaway from it. That if we can teach them how to use a phone at 14 months, what else could we possibly teach them for the positive, right? Like if we were just as engaged in positive habits, would they have picked those up as well? So I, I don't have any like phenomenal, mind-blowing advice that this is what you need to do and it's going to solve our problems. But it's just a reflection that, look, this is the power of leading by example. And you've only had her for 14 months now. Now, for the rest of her life, let's try to direct her towards more positive things. Right, and you can take this as an L, like take it as a loss. Khalas, we've lost this battle. May Allah help us. And it's not just you, by the way. I think all parents are in the same boat. Like, because we're so constantly engaged with our phones, when our children see this, they think this is what it means to be human. And this is what they, they, they try to mimic and try to replicate. And it becomes even more disastrous when rather than engaging with them to keep them busy, we give them videos to watch even if they're Islamic cartoons or, or, or what else, you know, from a very young age, it starts to have uh, an impact on them. So if we can keep them engaged by ourselves through activities, hands-on activities, coloring, drawing, painting, um, you know, in the sheets that we sing together, things like that, I think that would be a, a lot better. But I, I don't have any phenomenal advice to share with you, unfortunately. Continue? Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I'll give the example of like soda. Like, it, this, is just, this is something that, that, that used to happen in my household. That we used to drink soda and we wouldn't let the kids drink soda. So eventually we started drinking soda when they were asleep or, you know, when they're not around. So similarly over here, like a takeaway could be if you want to use your phone, use your phone when they're not around and they're not observing you. Like they're in bed, they're taking a nap, they're doing another activity, use your phone at that time. But if everyone is together, try not to use the phone in front of them. That could be a possible thing to explore, inshallah. Bismillah. Yeah. 
very good at talking to people. Why don't you have a presence online to say that? And like personally for me, I'm like, I feel like the like yes, maybe it would be good if I made a press blog or whatnot or presence online and start conversations, but I feel like the damage on me personally, like it's so much that I don't know if it would be worth the effort. But then sometimes you get guilt trip, you're just like you're not doing enough for your game. If you have presence online and sign first and many people and get this conversation started, you should have this specific talent. So it's just kind of like, what is your opinion on that matter? Like, is it right to then, you know, not engage on social media? Personally, I'm not active on social media much because Facebook is just a waste of my time. Sorry, just one second. Brothers, when someone's asking a question, we listen, please. Jazakumullah khairna. I think that's very fair. So the sister's question is with regards to, you know, if you're starting up a business, everyone's telling you you got to be online, you got to be present, you got to be in people's faces. That's how you be relevant. And then even from a religious perspective, they're like, you have so much to offer. Why don't you share your reminders online? Um, so I, you know, I, I think that it, it fits in really well with what we were discussing today. That everything has consequences, and you have to look at: are the consequences worth, you know, what I'm, I'm getting in return? So, with regards to Islamic education, um, I think that's a fallacy. Like, if you want to make an impact on a, on a community, you have to go into the community, interact with them, and change people, and mentor people, and be there for people. And that's what positive impact is going to be like. I think there is value in writing as well. So, if you have the skills of writing, starting off with a blog, writing books, writing articles, those don't require regular engagement. You post it, and it's there, and people will continue to, to benefit. And perhaps those things uh, are going to be easier. Now, with regards to building a business, you know, this is one of the things that as you build your business, in the beginning, you may have to do it yourself. But as you build your capital and as you build your team, you can hire a social media director and a social media manager and let them focus on that, right? Like social media is not something that we have to manage ourselves when we run our businesses. And in fact, I'll share an inside scoop with you. If you look at every major Islamic speaker that's out there, I would say 90% of them have social media managers. And they take clips and post it on them, and the sheikh or the sheikha doesn't even like bother looking at the comments and, and stuff like that. Allah knows best. Go ahead. Yeah. What if someone online starts bullying you or your friend? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. That's not a, an easy thing to deal with. And I think in that sort of situation, our natural reaction may be to respond to them right away, but the best thing that you can do is go and speak to your parents about it. So speak to your parents, let them know what's happening, and then with your parent, you make uh, a decision on do we want to tell the school about this, speak to the guidance counselor, speak to the principal, and you escalate it that way. But one of the worst things that you can do is just keep it to yourself. So if someone's bullying you, and you get intimidated, and you feel shy, and you feel like, you know what, I don't want to tell anything about anyone about it, that's the wrong thing to do. One should never feel ashamed for being bullied, even if it comes with a stigma. So tell your parents, speak to the school counselor, escalate it to the principal if need be, and deal with it that way. But never hide in the shame of being bullied. That's what I would suggest, inshallah. May Allah make it easy. Go ahead.
Yeah. And because of my faith, you know, through questions of Bible teaching and stuff, they all say that I'm not even in Messiah, I'm Emmanuel Grim for being evil. And then they'll bring things to the Israelites with Abba or um, Thomas and Paul. They're like, oh, look, this is how you do things, you start that way, such a prayer, et cetera, et cetera. So, how, like, first of all, what's wrong with that as a Christian? And do, do we know people who are gay? Okay. Do <laughs> you know that's uh, one of the challenges of the online space is that people learn a little bit and all of a sudden we think we become scholars overnight. So the brother's question is uh, with regards to people that justify religiously uh, shaming and criticizing people publicly under the pretense of enjoining good and forbidding evil. So the first thing I always tell people is that there is no greater gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to anyone than knowledge, and that is your best defense in these sort of situations. So when you look at the objectives of Islamic law, when you post something about someone, or if you say you see someone doing something wrong, is the goal to point out the fact that they're doing wrong, or is the goal to get them to change their behavior and to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? When you take this approach that you publicly criticize someone, know for a fact that getting them to change their uh, position, their stance, and the, their behavior is very, very unlikely. Because no one likes to be shamed publicly, no one likes to be called out. And what that may do is not only will it build uh, a wedge between you and this individual, but depending on the level of this person's faith, could build a wedge between them and the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how do you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with something like that, that you've created a wedge between them and Allah? And even though it's not our fault, people are responsible for their own deen, but sometimes we can be catalysts, and we want to be catalysts for good, not catalysts for evil. Number three, this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that says, whoever amongst you sees an evil, let them change it with their hand. If you're unable to do so, speak out against it. If you're unable to do so, hate it in your heart, and that is the weakest of iman. This hadith in of itself has conditions. The first part of changing it with your hand it requires that you have position and authority, right? Number two, speaking out against it is knowledge, wisdom, time, and place, right? So sometimes you have the right thing to say, but it's not the time to say it. Sometimes you have the right thing to say, and it is the right time because you're alone and in private, but you say it harshly as opposed to being soft. That's not the way to do it, right? And sometimes it's in public instead of being in private, so all those things have to be kept in consideration that you learn from the fiqh of this hadith. And the last thing is the Prophet has still given us that option that if you're unable to, then at the very least you hate it with your heart. Because sometimes you may not get the capability to do that. So that's sort of my, uh, my two cents on, on that issue. Wallahu ta'ala alam. I'll take one last question, bidillahi ta'ala. Our brother in the back. Go ahead. Excellent. So the brother's question is, in high school these days, people have the freedom to dress uh, and act the way that they want. Should we be judgmental with regards to that, particularly when people are speaking about other people, or what should we do in that situation? 
You know, in being in, in, in high school in this day and age, it's tough, man. I completely get that. It's not like high school during my time. It's definitely not high school during my parents' time. And I, I just feel it's going to get tougher and tougher. So the first thing that we want to always look at is how is my relationship with Allah and how am I doing with Allah? That is number one priority. If I haven't got that on point and I, if I haven't fixed that, I don't have time to be concerned about other people's problems. Number two is me looking at the way people dress and act. If it's not impacting me and affecting me, why do I actually care? What is the point of caring? Now, if the point is that other people are talking about it and other people are mentioning it, we encourage those people, mind your own business, focus on your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they don't change, then maybe we want to question, why am I hanging out with these people? Why are these people my friends? Like, what is it that we have in common that we're actually hanging out together? Now, the third and last thing to do is give people the benefit of the doubt. Some people genuinely don't know. And this is, subhanAllah, you know, when you study early books of Islamic tradition, there were things that people used to say are ma'loom in ad-deen bid-darura, that they're known by necessity. Like, you have to pray five times a day. You know, you have to give zakat, you have to wear hijab, all these things, they were considered known by necessity. But the level of ignorance in accumulation with overload of useless information has made people ignorant about their deen. And we can't really change that by judging people, right? So I would say give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe these people don't know any better. If the opportunity arises, speak to them about it. Like I think one of the best things that happened to me was having Jummah in school, in high school, right? If that doesn't exist in your high school, try to bring that about. And then the challenges that Muslims are facing in your high school, try to address that in the khutbah, right? I think that's one of the best things that can be done. Go ahead, yeah. In that sort of situation, this non-Muslim friend that you have, tell them that, yeah, you know, there's always things that we could do better, and maybe one day she will do it better. For the time being, you know, let's just hope that she learns, right? Try to frame it into something positive like that, right? And again, like in that sort of situation, I think it's a bit different than what I was talking about. You can't say maybe we should just, you know, focus on our own relationship with Allah, because you could like talk smack, you're like, dude, you're on kufr, that's worse than the way she's dressed. But that wouldn't make sense to him, right? So let's not focus on that. But I think focus on the positive of like, you know what? Let's just hope that she changes her ways and, and she becomes better, right? That's the way I would frame it. May Allah make it easy. Folks, let's conclude over there, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu la ilaha illa anta astaghfirullah ilaik. Next week, 7.30, we have those three topics. Bidnillahi ta'ala. Hope to see you all then. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.